Gates, the biggest firebrand inside of the House of Representatives. You're not taking Matt Gates off the board, okay? Because Matt Gates is an American patriot and Matt Gates is an American hero. We will not continue to allow the Uniparty to run this town without a fight. I want to thank you, Matt Gates, for holding the line. Matt Gates is a courageous man. If we had hundreds of Matt Gates in DC, the country turns around. It's that simple. He's so tough, he's so strong, he's smart, and he loves this country. Matt Gates. It is the honor of my life to fight alongside each and every one of you. We will save America. It's choose your fighter time. Send in the firebrands. Welcome back to Firebrand. We are live broadcasting out of room 2021 of the Rayburn House Office Building here in our Capitol Complex in Washington, D.C. Shout out to my man Kevin Smith watching at the Loud Majority on Rumble. We have a lot to get to. War in the Middle East. We've got a speaker race coming up. This episode, I'm going to walk you through the nine announced candidates for Speaker of the House who will be debating in just moments before the House Republican Conference, laying out their vision. I want you to get a keen understanding of what the path forward looks like for each of them, some of the critical features of their voting record, and really how we can unite behind someone who will make the Republican conference a fighting force for the people. Again, I've got lots to share about my perspective on the race. The mainstream media has been freaking out because the normal powers that be are not in control of Washington, D.C. right now. We have got a historic opportunity to democratize power, to put the needs of the American people at the forefront again. I can't wait to see what the next step is, and I'm really, really excited about what it could mean for really reshaping the rules in a deeply corrupt system. Uh, first, I want to go, though, to what's going on in the Middle East, and here is uh, the direct statements from Prime Minister Netanyahu to Hezbollah regarding a potential second front in Israel's war in the north. Take a listen. If Hezbollah decides to enter the war, it will miss the second Lebanon war. It will make the mistake of its life. We will cripple it with a force it cannot even imagine, and the consequence for Hezbollah and for the state of Lebanon will be devastating. But we are prepared for any scenario. So this is something really important to watch. Right now, Israel is in an asymmetric conflict against these well-funded, well-financed, coordinated, logistically-centered terrorist groups. But we do not want to see this conflict broaden into more state-on-state -state violence. That's where this goes from an operation that Israel's military is conducting in, in Gaza to a war that could sweep across the Middle East and through parts of the Muslim world in Asia, in Africa, uh, we want to see Israel succeed in destroying Hamas. That is the objective. Uh, I believe that Lebanon is one of the key countries to watch because Lebanon has Hezbollah as a political party occupying about a third of the, the seats in their lawmaking body, and they've got a real goal to annihilate Israel. So while there are some positive features of uh, what the Lebanese government is doing, while they're trying to hold it together uh, amid a lot of economic strife and a banking collapse in Lebanon, Lebanon would be the first country to descend into a civil war. And so Netanyahu, understanding that, is trying to reset deterrence with Hezbollah and have them understand that this will not be the normal cycle of escalation. This will not be Hezbollah attacks and then Israel has a proportionate response. You will see a, a complete 
uh, destruction mode. You will see a siege in southern Lebanon and potentially in the Golan Heights around Syria uh, if you see those nations devolve into civil war and anti-Semitic entities seeking to wipe Israel off the map gain any sort of operational imperative uh, in these early stages. So uh, very important. I think it is quite the signal from Prime Minister Netanyahu that uh, this is a critical objective of Israel to deter uh, any sort of Lebanese involvement in the war and to deter Hezbollah to the max extent possible. I do believe that us having two carrier groups in the Eastern Med gives uh, other countries that would seek to escalate this uh, reason to not do so. Doesn't mean we should be moving carrier groups through the Suez Canal. I think that that uh, has real force protection risks to it, but in the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, we can be a part of helping Israel set deterrence, and I'm glad, in fact, that we are doing that. Here at home, there's other news that's troubling as well. I want to bring your attention to a piece by Will Kessler in the Daily Caller styled, Americans are burning through savings to keep Biden's economy afloat. So the Biden administration is noting that there is economic growth now, but if you peel back, a lot of that growth is funded by high consumer deficit spending, where you're seeing APRs increase on credit cards. Uh, and I'm quoting now directly from the piece, to sustain this level of consumer spending, Americans are draining their savings, spending more than they are bringing in as their wages stay stagnant or decline. E.J. Antonio, a research fellow at Heritage Foundation, quoted saying, people need more savings today than ever to cope with the higher cost of living, and instead many families are heading into the next recession with less savings and more debt. So as the Biden administration tries to show you economic growth numbers, know that that comes on the backs of the savings of the American people. And as the American people burn through savings, more and more are utilizing credit cards to bridge from one month to the next with high government spending and high interest rates. That APR on those credit cards is increasing. And E.J. Antoni making this argument in the Daily Caller piece that uh, we may very well be heading into a recession. And if we are... It is the government spending that I am trying to stop in this town that is driving it. And it was that government spending that Kevin McCarthy was all too willing to advance as House Speaker. Now we've got the opportunity to get a new House Speaker. And there are nine announced candidates in this round of the balloting. And I agree with what my colleague Bob Good said recently. I would rather get this done right than just get it done quickly. We've never seen anything like this in Washington, D.C. before, where the core of the control center that the lobbyists and the special interests have on the leadership and on the agenda, that has been shaken. That has been disrupted. And, and now we've got nine folks and we may have a speaker among them. So I'm going to go through these in alphabetical order. I'm going to tell you a little bit about these folks. Please don't take anything I say positive or negative about them as dispositive on my vote. I think that with any of these people, you're going to have to have to weigh multiple factors, okay? And at the end of the day, the, the ideal candidate that I would have liked to have seen, Jim Jordan, well, he came 17 votes short of the speakership. And while that's discouraging to many, and, and certainly it's got a lot of folks fired up in the live chat right now, what I can tell you is that we have moved the ball forward for conservatism just by where we are right now. Consider this. Just three speakers ago, Jim Jordan was called a legislative terrorist by John Boehner. And just like three days ago, 
we had Jim Jordan within 17 votes of the speakership. That shows you the direction this is moving and the American people who are engaged and demanding more, you are the ones that are the driving force in that movement. So let's get to these nine candidates now uh, with full context that I'm describing them to you, not trying to persuade you one way or the other on these folks. There's just things I think you need to know. So uh, alphabetical order, let's start with Jack Bergman. Jack Bergman is the highest ranking member of the military to have ever served in Congress in America's history. General Bergman served in the United States Marine Corps. Now, he's a more moderate member of Congress. He's from the state of Michigan, represents the Upper Peninsula there. He was actually elected class president when I entered Congress. So several of the people that you're, uh, you're going to hear about, or certainly Mike Johnson, I guess, in, in addition to Bergman, uh, from the same class that was elected with me in 2016, Jack Bergman was elected our class president, uh, always viewed, uh, viewed well among the members of our class. Member of the Armed Services Committee with me has also served uh, as a member of the Veterans Affairs Committee. Now, one thing about Jack Bergman, uh, he voted for the debt limit increase. That is, in many ways, the original sin of the McCarthy era of the speakership. Before that debt limit vote, Kevin McCarthy was actually doing a pretty good job as House Speaker. Wouldn't have lost his job. But when they did the deal to underwrite an unlimited amount of Biden debt through January 1 of 2025, you created this runway for the very weaponized government that we have been fighting against. So I, I will certainly weigh in my decision the fact that Jack Bergman was a yes vote on that bad debt limit deal. Uh, I think that, that we probably uh, would do better with someone who didn't vote for that. And that brings us to our next uh, candidate for speaker, Byron Donalds, my fellow Florida man. So I, I am a little biased. Byron and I have known each other for quite some time. Uh, we've been on the campaign trade together throughout uh, Florida politics, helping Republicans get elected. We served in the state legislature together. Uh, Byron Donalds is a respected member of the House Freedom Caucus. He is a dynamic communicator uh, in one area where he and I had disagreement, and it was, uh, it was re-noted on social media somewhat recently. Uh, Byron had supported a continuing resolution that demanded some policy changes on the border and that had ostensibly some spending cuts for 30 days. I did not support that. I think governing by continuing resolution is a bad idea. Uh, but Byron is considered probably you know, among the more conservative members of this field uh, and someone who certainly got a lot of people excited. Uh, I know having campaigned with Byron across Florida throughout the country, He's a very dynamic guy, and when people interact with him on the campaign trail, they seem to like him. Uh, so Byron Donalds, another candidate for House Speaker. The, the real question I had with Donalds, he's in, he's in his second term, I think? Second or third term? I think he's in his second term. And there are some here who believe that you've got to have extensive seniority. You've got to have uh, been in Washington for 10, 12 years to even be considered. Frankly, all the people we've considered to date have had at least a decade of experience in Congress, and, and Byron has less congressional experience. But I would remind people that he's got experience in the state legislature, and one of the features of his candidacy that I think he's been promoting is that he's not been entirely encapsulated in the Beltway view of thinking, and that as someone who's a former state lawmaker, like many members of Congress are, we might be able to reset that, that semblance of federalism where the Congress doesn't have to solve every problem, where we've got states doing what's within their constitutional purview. So uh, that is Byron Donalds. 
Next, alphabetically, Tom Emmer. He is the current whip of the Republican conference. And in that role, he is very well thought of from our more moderate members to our more conservative members as a truth teller. Tom Emmer is one of the few members of leadership who doesn't lie to the membership. Uh, there is a Trump factor here. President Trump initially put out a statement that he did not support Tom Emmer. He'd apparently heard uh, things that were concerning to him about how Tom Emmer had run the campaign arm of the Republican caucus, the NRCC. I am told that President Trump and Tom Emmer spoke over the weekend and that that conversation went well. So we'll see if there are other comments from President Trump about uh, Tom Emmer. Though Tom Emmer is the whip of the Congress, it is important to note that Emmer has only been in that position for nine months, whereas other members of leadership at times struggled with, uh, with members who said, well, you know, you're part of the same system, you're part of the same structure, and some had been members of that system and structure for many years. Here, Tom Emmer has been there for nine months. I think the membership uh, likes him. Now, there, there have been some clips that have been coming out from his time as a Minnesota-based uh, politician, lawmaker. I think he, he ran for governor in Minnesota, came up uh, just just short in, in the closest of races there as Minnesota was taking kind of a, a bluish turn. Uh, you know, you could find old clips about just about anybody and, and use them if they've been in politics long enough. Uh, we'll see if those motivate a lot of conservative activists to oppose Emmer. I certainly have seen the most opposition to Emmer online as opposed to any of these other candidates. Uh, we'll see if that ends up being dispositive for, fo for folks. And another thing you should know about Tom Emmer, he too voted for the debt limit deal. So if, if you're viewing that as dispositive as I am, if you're viewing that as critical to where the House of Representatives is right now, it's quite the tell Tom Emmer was a yes vote on the bad McCarthy debt limit deal. Uh, that brings us to our next candidate, Kevin Hearn. Kevin Hearn is the chairman of the Republican Study Committee. That is the largest conference in the United States Congress. And Kevin Hearn is a guy who grew up on public assistance, got a job at a McDonald's, became, uh, scraped together enough money to get a McDonald's franchise, and then became one of the most successful McDonald's franchisees in the country. And as it just so happens, I have a delivery from Kevin Hearn that came just as we were starting the show, and uh, I'll, I'll read you his platform. Uh, he's, a, he's a congressman from Arkansas, and it reads, actually, is he from, is he, he's from Oklahoma, isn't he? Yeah, Oklahoma, my mistake. All right. Dear colleague, how would you get us back on track? That is the question I've received most since announcing my bid for speaker. To me, the answer is simple. If we want better outcomes, we need to pursue a fresh approach. But truth is, Congress has not been working properly for a long time. Here are some facts. 38. That's the number of continuing resolutions we've passed in the last 10 years. Eight. That's the number of omnibus spending bills we've passed in the last 10 years. 1977, the last and only time Congress passed a budget and enacted all of its appropriations bills separately and on time. Think about that. 1977, last time we followed the law. But I'm the crazy one that wants us to follow the law. Back to Hearn's letter. 1,208, the number of unauthorized programs at the beginning of fiscal year 2023. We've talked a lot about this. Over 1,200 unauthorized programs. We've got to stop spending money in this way. So back to the Hearn letter. Two, the number of years we are away from debt interest payments surpassing annual defense funding 
And uh, the letter goes on to talk about the number of Americans that are dying from the national debt, the debt uh, increase now approaching $34 trillion, and an approval rating for Congress of 17%. Hearn talks about his 35 years of leadership in the McDonald's organization, motivating people, and you know what? Let's see what he sent us. A cheeseburger. Actually, we got two of them. And, uh, you know, they say there's a lot of stuff that goes on to buy and sell votes in this town, but Kevin Hearn sending me a McDonald's burger, probably one of the best efforts we've had so far. I'm taking a bite. Oh, it's been a long time since I've had a McDonald's burger. All right, that's Kevin Hearn's candidacy. We'll see if anybody else sends any other, uh, any other fast food. That brings us to the next candidate, Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson, a constitutional conservative, a brilliant attorney, whips Jamie Raskin up and down the floor whenever they debate the finer points of constitutional law. Uh, on the Judiciary Committee, Mike Johnson has been central to a lot of the oversight we've been conducting over the Biden crime family, over the FBI, the DOJ, the ATF. Here, here is, the, uh, is the challenge that Mike Johnson will have to overcome. Uh, he did not vote for the debt limit deal, but the, the challenge he'll have to overcome is that he's from the state of Louisiana. And our number two right now, Steve Scalise, who withdrew from the speaker contest, is also from Louisiana. So I know this sounds crazy, but as qualified as Mike Johnson is, and he would make a phenomenal speaker, I can tell you that right now, having worked with him. There are some people who don't want to vote for Mike Johnson because they're concerned about the centralization of power with a Speaker of the House and a majority leader from the state of Louisiana. I don't view that as all that important, but it's something he's going to have to work through. Also, Mike Johnson's not a member of the House Freedom Caucus. A lot of times he aligns with the conservative perspective and viewpoint. Some members of the Freedom Caucus say, well, if you're a real conservative that wants our backing, you should be in the Freedom Caucus. Full disclosure, I'm not a member of the Freedom Caucus. Uh, I think that you can be a conservative and be more independent-minded or you, you don't have to necessarily be a sworn-in member of the House Freedom Caucus in order to fight for the American people. Uh, Mike Johnson's going to be a really strong candidate for the speakership. Next is Dan Muser. Dan Muser's from Pennsylvania. Uh, he is more, uh, I, I think, drawing on a base of suburbanite Republicans to support his candidacy. He supported the debt limit deal. Uh, and, you know, the, he's going to make a case that someone from a swing state like Pennsylvania, someone who can uh, make a case to country club Republicans, uh, would, would, would be helpful. That'll be the, the central candidacy of Dan Muser. Next, it brings us to Gary Palmer. Gary Palmer is currently the policy chairman. He's viewed within the Republican conference as someone who is uh, wonky, who understands the intricacies of, of policy choices. He studies budget issues and entitlement issues very closely. I served on the budget committee with Gary Palmer. I can tell you this guy is a fiscal hawk. He's from the state of Alabama. So, hey, if we went from a House speaker from California to a House speaker from Alabama, uh, that, that has its own panache to it. I think he understands how to reform entitlement programs. He is a devout Christian and more of a mild-mannered guy. Uh, Gary Palmer, he played wide receiver at the University of Alabama, was quite the standout athlete, a pretty fast guy we hear. But he's not the person um, to take over a room with his mere presence. Uh, I think he's more of a, of a student of the intricacies of policy. 
uh, more mild-mannered in his nature. Next up is Pete Sessions of Texas. And Pete Sessions is a bit of a throwback candidate, prior chairman of the House Rules Committee under House Speaker Paul Ryan. And he was really ousted from that, that Rules Committee seniority and that Rules Committee position under Kevin McCarthy. So he and McCarthy do not get along particularly well. He will, Pete Sessions will draw heavily on the fact that he's from the largest delegation in, uh, for Republicans in the country. That's the Texas delegation. If all of the uh, Texans get behind Pete Sessions, I think he's got a really high probability of, uh, of uh, coming out of the gate with a strong base of support. And he'll make the argument that just like the Texas delegation, the Republican conference has more conservatives, more suburbanites, more centrists, more moderates. So if he could convince that delegation to support him, he would likely argue that that would allow him to bring in people from the various factions of our conference to be able to lead us effectively. That is the Pete Sessions case from Texas, former rules chairman. Uh, that brings us to our final candidate, Austin Scott. Austin Scott from the state of Georgia, you'll remember he challenged Jim Jordan, got 81 votes in that contest. I praised Austin Scott online because after he was defeated by Jim Jordan, he backed him 100% for speaker, voted for him three times, was working hard to get the gavel for Jordan. And I just think that's a class act. It's a total, uh, I think, you know, responsible thing to do after someone bests you in a contest like that to back them. Uh, he is running on a campaign that includes consequences for the eight of us who did not support Kevin McCarthy, including yours truly. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee and the Agriculture Committee. He voted for the debt limit deal that many of us oppose. I, I, I want to play one clip for you because it overlays one of my principal critiques of this town. I've told you that Washington, D.C. is a corrupt place, and the lobbyists and bundlers and political action committees exist for one principal reason, to use the money that lawmakers need for political campaigns in order to extract favors that otherwise they would never get. Because in the absence of all of that, our principal motivation would be to put the needs of our constituents, our voters first. But if you view money as the principal path to get to the voters, well, then you end up working for the lobbyists and the special interests. We are live broadcasting to you right now from the Rayburn building. But if I were to take about 30 or 40 steps outside of this building, I would go across the street where there is an office building for the Republican National Committee and the National Republican Congressional Committee. Across the street from the Capitol, is where our party leaders and bosses often meet with lobbyists to get commitments for them to provide money and then ultimately to receive those donations in the form of fundraisers, gatherings, policy conferences, dinner. That all happens just across the street from where we are right now. When you're in the Capitol building, it is not only verboten, it's quite literally against the law to talk about fundraising and donations. You have to do that across the street. You can't do it in the Capitol building. Astonishingly, I watched former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy make the case on Meet the Press that what's most important when evaluating a potential candidate for Speaker is not just how they will lead inside the Capitol building. It is what they will do across the street 
for the lobbyists and special interests. Take a listen. This is not a moment in time to play around with learning on the job. We need someone who understands how to do this job. I believe Tom Emmer, our whip, he's been in the room with all of our successes from our bills to secure the border, from parents' bill of rights, from cutting $2 trillion, getting work requirements. He knows how to do the job across the street at the same time, helping us win the majority. He's, he sets himself head and shoulders above all those others who want to run. We need to get him elected this week and move on and bring this not just party together but focus on what this country needs most so did you hear the tell kevin mccarthy while in endorsing his preference for house speaker literally referenced the across the street work as central to the position you see it's it's the parlance in washington that you talk about the people who are best at laundering special interest money at being good across the street I, can't, I just can't believe that. That was so off-putting to me, so debasing, that the way we have to evaluate leadership is based on who can go and launder the most lobbyist money. And, and then all of that money has strings attached. Uh, the live stream is going crazy with different people offering their perspective. Nobody wants to return to Kevin McCarthy. Some of you just want no speaker. If the House of Representatives is so eager to open up to send money to Ukraine, there is substantial sentiment that... Uh, Maybe if we kept the lights off for a few more days, we might get people oriented back to a perspective to put the needs of our fellow Americans before the needs of which guy next wants to run Crimea. Uh, also, a lot of sentiment for candidates that I did not list. So Donald Trump, we, we have thrown this lure as many times as is possible. President Trump does not want to be considered a candidate for House Speaker. Uh, I've tried. Troy Nels has tried. Marjorie Taylor Greene's tried. Lauren Boebert's tried. Nunes. Nunes is another one picking up, particularly on Rumble, a lot of positive sentiment. I would absolutely vote for Devin Nunes for Speaker. There are other folks who aren't in the Congress now, who, prior members, uh, who've been thrown out. Some people threw out Newt Gingrich. I think that's a terrible idea. Actually, throwing out Newt Gingrich was the good idea. Throwing his name out for Speaker, not so much. But Lee Zeldin got a number of votes in prior rounds, and Lee Zeldin is someone I could absolutely support for Speaker. But I, I talked to a lot of our members, and I, I just want to bring you inside the decision-making here. Right now, about one out of every four people in the United States Congress would not vote for someone who's not a current member of the body. I would, but one in four wouldn't even consider such a person. So as, as attractive as people like Devin Nunes and Lee Zeldin are, as unifying consensus options, I think they would, they would struggle to win over a sufficient number of institutionalists to be able to get there. Uh, can't let you go without showing you how the mainstream media is freaking out about what's going on in the House right now. They, the power centers of the establishment and the mainstream media are so aligned, they are really losing it. Lead opinion in the New York Times, the people who broke the House and if you're watching right now on YouTube, Rumble, on X, or Facebook, you can see that the camera guys get a pretty good look at my phone. If you zoom in there, you can see I'm, I'm charting in the second round of the Jordan balloting, who is voting and, and who they're voting for. Um, but they make the argument that I've broken, broken the house. This is the same New York Times that often calls me far right and extreme. But they actually charted out the ideology of the people who blocked McCarthy and then the people who blocked Jordan. And it tells you an interesting story. So if you're watching right now, 
And sorry if you're, if you're one of our tens of thousands of listeners, you can use this time to go and give me a five-star rating, leave a review. But if you're watching, you can see on the screen this chart that the New York Times has put together showing the ideologies of the Republicans who were against McCarthy. The most uh, moderate, the, the closest to the center, uh, Nancy Mace. The most conservative, Andy Biggs. And, and there you see me nestled right there in the center right of the Republican conference, kind of right where I want to be, reflecting the views of our fellow Americans without any sort of, of, of agenda beyond what would make life better for people in Northwest Florida. So whenever the New York Times calls me an extreme right, hardline member going forward, I may have to show them their own data that suggests otherwise. But then the story gets even richer. If you go to the next chart, you see the people who blocked Jim Jordan. And Ken Buck, very conservative. He's the most conservative person who blocked Jordan. And, and then, th though at the end, I, I'm pretty sure Buck was not going to stand between Jim Jordan and the speakership. I actually have some, some information on that. So he wasn't really the one blocking Jordan. But it's all these dots on the left. The most liberal members of our caucus blocked the most popular Republican in the United States House of Representatives. And they did so because their lobbyist friends knew that Jim Jordan uh, wouldn't put them first and wouldn't be a part of this corrupt system. And it's a shame, but this is also 100% an exercise in exposing the people who do not truly work for you. Uh, there's another piece in the Wall Street Journal, Molly Ball. The headline, Matt Gates tore the House GOP apart. He isn't sorry. And the piece says, in part, McCarthy told reporters, listen, the whole country, I think, would scream at Matt Gates right now. And uh, Molly Ball continues, Gates, a Kennedy student of procedure with a knack for tapping the conservative zeitgeist, has taken it upon himself to assemble a shifting band of dissidents, and up to now, he's been dramatically successful. While critics accuse Gates of attention-mongering, he insists he is about outcomes, not headlines. Chaos doesn't scare me. American decline does. Whether McCarthy is replaced by a similar figure or a more conservative one, Gates wins either way, said Liam Donovan, a Republican lobbyist. If a conservative wins, it would make Gates a hero to the right. Otherwise, it would further his argument that the D.C. cartel is conspiring to frustrate conservative aims. I do not know who Liam Donovan is, the Republican lobbyist cited in this article, but he's kind of right. If we end up with a more conservative speaker, then we will have achieved the obje objective of upgrading the position. Maybe it's not the ideal person you want if you were hoping for Donald Trump or Jim Jordan or Devin Nunes or me. It's not going to be that first choice. But if it's someone more conservative, then we've moved in the right direction. And if it's not, you will know why. You won't have to wonder why Republicans in Congress continue to send out press releases and tweets about their intentions and what they're going to fight and what they're going to defund. You see what they're willing to fight for. One of them, Illinois Congressman Mike Bost, even wanted to fight me. You've seen people get to the microphone with tears in their eyes about how much they love one leader or another. They never were that concerned as Joe Biden was opening the border and as our fellow Americans were being poisoned by fentanyl. I can tell you that. They're way, the establishment hacks are way more worried 
about their precious power centers here than about what's happening to the American people right now. And so, yeah, it's either going to be more conservative or it's not. And either way, you're going to win because you're going to have better outcomes or you're going to have a specific pathway on what you have to do to get them. And we are demystifying this. And I'm glad we're doing it. We're doing it all over the country too, not just here in Washington. Uh, I was traveling over the weekend in the 5th District of Virginia with my friend Bob Good, and I had a chance to stop at Appomattox Courthouse, and I just, I just couldn't resist making this little video for you. Take a listen. Well, that's about as useless as Confederate money. It's a saying to denote that something has lost all of its value. It's because right behind me at Appomattox Courthouse, when General Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant, everyone holding Confederate money all of a sudden saw the value go to zero. Well, you know what, over this last week, there's been a lot of criticism over what we've done in the United States Congress. But one thing I can tell you, all the lobbyists and special interests who gave Kevin McCarthy a billion dollars, they're all holding Confederate money because the IOUs from the swamp and the special interests have gone to zero and the interests of the American people, they're about to be front and center. Stay tuned. So we are back live in just a, a few hours. I'll be meeting directly with Austin Scott, one of the candidates. He's invited a group of us to chat with him about his vision. We ought to be open-minded, listening to everyone. A lot of you on the live stream are asking who, who are my favorites. So I'll end the show with that. Look, I believe that what you just heard from Kevin Hearn is a real plan. This is a real plan to stop governing by continuing resolution. And it's serious, and he's a very serious person. He would make a phenomenal speaker. I've sat next to Mike Johnson for seven years on the House Judiciary Committee. I know that if he is the Speaker of the House, everything that Kevin McCarthy has done to block the release of the January 6 tapes, to block our subpoenas, that will be over, and it will be a new era of exciting leadership. Mike Johnson would make a phenomenal speaker. And of course, you know how I feel about Byron Donalds, my fellow Florida man, a dynamic communicator, an inspiring choice, someone who has effectively worked across the conference to bring, bring people to, uh, I think, a, a more conservative position, but a unifying issue, a position on a number of issues, including our big border bill, HR2. Uh, Byron Donalds also shares a lot of the concerns of coastal communities that impact Northwest Florida. So I think that uh, he would also make a phenomenal choice for House Speaker. So those are three of the nine that I'm real excited about. And I'm going to allow myself the opportunity to hear what the others have to say. It's not about one man. It's not about one person. It's not even about us. You see, that's why seven of the eight offered last week to accept punishment or sanction, removal from the conference if people were willing to get past their issues and vote for Jim Jordan. But we can, we can still end up with a phenomenal speaker. The plan wasn't Jordan or bust. Uh, these other men are of great virtue, uh, and I think that we're going to hear a lot more tonight. I can't wait to update you in the future. The best way to stay informed regarding what's going on in Congress our updates regarding what's going on around the world, and particularly the Middle East and in Europe. Make sure you are subscribed. Give us that five-star rating. Have your notifications turned on. Tune in, because we'll be back soon on Firebrand. Roll the credits.